0: And that was the lowest point of my life. It was a Monday in May of 2006. And I was training a five foot three, obese, 310 pound lawyer, stressed out. He's 55 years old. And I say to him, Richard, and Richard is a real nice guy I say, I need you to take me to the hospital.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Inside Look on the Empire Podcast, and today we have the great Craig Ballantyne, and we are going to take a deep dive into this man's life because he's had a massive impact on my life. Craigie, welcome to your show. Oh, it's nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, so we've known each other for about 10 years. Yeah. And... um, I'm going, to tell a, I'm going to tell an interesting story, sure, if you don't mind. And uh, it involves our friend Sean Hatzel, who I believe oh, yeah. is going to be coming out here to the Empire Meetup. Yeah, up. he'll be at the Empire. Right? And so, gosh, about, about 9, 10 years ago, Craig and I were at a Frank Kern event. 2011. 2011. When you were training for the marathon. Yes. Gosh, you have a hell of a memory. Yeah. 2011, we're at a Frank Kern event in San Diego. By the way, big shout-out to Frank Kern and Natalia. Um, and during the break, one of the breaks of, of his seminar... The sky fitness guy comes up to me, he goes, "Hey, my name is Sean Hatzel, and uh, nice to meet you." And I said, "Oh, hey, good to meet you. I'm out here with Craig Valentine." He goes, "Craig Valentine, I'm a big fran- I'm a big, big fan." I said, "Great. Why don't you come have lunch with us?" And you and I were walking down the down the sidewalk, and, and I was in the middle, Sean was to my left, you were on my right, and Sean just kind of crosses over to me and says, "Hey, Craig, how are you?" And you your answer was something like, "None of your business," or "I don't want to talk about that." Right? Now that was Craig 1.0, and I share this here with it's
0: everyone. Like
1: 0.0. Yeah. Because there was a time that I would actually jokingly call you crusty and yeah, right But but here you've evolved so much and you're making such a big impact in people's lives And so I'm curious first off at what point did you make the conscious decision that I need to start working on myself?
0: I would say that I always knew it's almost like you remember when you're a kid and You watch like Bugs Bunny and there'd be like the devil on the shoulder and the angel on the other side I always knew that there was the angel on one side, but I was more of the devil. I was more of the bad, you know, that took the path of least resistance. I could have been better. And, and I always knew, like, I could have been better today. And it was just over time and over time and over time. And, you know, definitely meeting you and hanging around you and Jason Ferrugia, Joel Marion, and my, and my business partner and dear friend, Matt Smith. Just being more like having a big brothers in my life, I think, was really, really important to make me play up a level in life. So we would do the masterminds, and, yeah. and uh, same with when I did masterminds with Matt Smith. I always tell the story, and it was actually Rick Mulready, a great guy who was a Facebook expert down in San Diego. I gave the greatest advice in the world to Rick, and, but I said it like a dick. And I know that all Rick heard was, wow, this guy's a dick. Even though he didn't even, like it was, it was really literally million dollar advice. And I remember Matt looking over and just going, you can't do that you know and and you did that to me several times I I call it the Armenian death stare you don't want to get that it was so it was it was through that and you know it's like it's embarrassing like people always say man you're so much nicer than you were back then and I I, I mean I I appreciate it and I take it as a compliment but I also am like dang I really really screwed up and, and missed out but you know I don't yeah, I mean, we're gonna yeah. yeah, we're not yeah. going to dwell on that. Yeah, we're not going to dwell on that. So I think it was over time, and and there was I don't think there was one specific moment. It was just I always knew I could do better, and then having you guys in my life really accelerated that because you set that higher bar, which sure. is really important to have coaches who set the higher bar
1: for yeah. you. Yeah, coaches and friends who can set a higher standard of expectation of self.
0: Yeah, and then the other the phrase that I just started using about last fall was I was like it clicked on me that. You must be accountable, not just to anybody, because accountability is good. I call that the secret ingredient to success. But I've had coaches where I only did about 80% of the work, you know, like Yannick Silver's awesome, awesome dude. I love the guy. But if he was disappointed in me, I wouldn't lose any sleep on it. Yeah. So I say now, you must be accountable to somebody that you deeply do not want to disappoint. If you are accountable to somebody that you deeply do not want to disappoint, you will move mountains to play up to their level. And, and again, it's, the, it's this big brother relationship that I have with you where it's like, I will never disappoint you, disappoint you in any way, any way. And so that just makes me do everything way outside of the comfort zone.
1: And so people today see the disciplined and almost like this perfectly structured man, Craig Valentine. but what they probably don't know is the party addict, alcohol addict, drug addict, um, And kid who was raised by a father, uh, a mom and dad, but specifically had a father who was, for all intents and purposes, emotionally abusive.
0: Yeah. And
1: so why don't you tell us, like, who that Craig 1.0 was? Because I think it's important for people who think that, but yeah, but there's no hope for me to see that, holy smokes, this guy did a complete 180.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's that's why I love the big brother thing so much, because I definitely didn't have a good role model as a father. Now, I still love the guy, and I miss him dearly. He's been passed away for 10 years. But, you know, there was no role modeling in relationships with women. I remember when I was like 10 years old and I saw my friend's parents hold hands, and I was was like... like my mind couldn't even comprehend not the not only the fact they were holding hands and they were adults, but the fact that they were actually talking and and getting along really well. My parents never did. And so I mean that that is you know what you know, it's a crisis in society today not for a young man to not have a role model uh, yeah. in their life, that is why I think we have a lot of problems. and it's why I had a lot of problems. My father also drank too much, and therefore, Drinking was first of all normal, but second of all, it was an easy way for me to deal with my uh, lack in life. So you know, lacking social skills, like I could go out and get tons of girls if I had six beers in me. I couldn't get tons of girls if I didn't have six beers in me. Mm. And so that then became an emotional crutch that then I used as an excuse through high school, I mean, because we start drinking early in Canada. I mean, that's what you do in small towns. You you play hockey and you drink beer, sometimes in the other tell, order. Tell our
1: friends how early you started drinking beer.
0: I started drinking beer when I was 14, for that's sure. That's nuts. Yeah, I remember, like, you know, ninth grade, you know, like once or twice, and then 10th grade, like, every weekend. That's my son in two years. I know, so it will not happen. But, I mean, it, it's just, it was, it was the norm. And, you know, that then became the norm for me until I was 30, which is... You know, it's that's when I'm really where I kick myself. I mean, I could have done so much more. And it was very hypocritical. And I actually made an Instagram video about this the other day that I actually called myself a fraud. Because I was, for all intents and purposes, a fraud in the way that I behaved. Six days a week, I was that perfect guy, health-oriented, working out, doing all the great things. And then Saturday night from 4, 4 PM till 4 AM, sometimes later, be drinking straight through from pub to nightclub, you know so on and so forth and I did that until I was 30 years old and I think that misalignment in addition to the alcohol, in addition to the caffeine, in addition to not sleeping enough, in addition to working too much, all of that caught up with me and you know karma caught up with me and I had the anxiety attacks when I was 29 to 30.
1: Let's actually talk about that but because unbeknownst to you you were literally doing R&D research and development for your next book that's coming out. Yeah. but before we talk about the book Tell our friends about the anxiety attack that you had and the circumstances that you had to go into the hospital.
0: Yeah, I actually went to the hospital twice, the emergency room twice. The first time was on New Year's Day 2006. And so I had gone out and just drank a ton of vodka Red Bulls. I had drank at least seven cans of Red Bull that night. And I remember waking up the next day at like 11 o'clock and got in the shower. And as soon as I got out of the shower, the heart rate was pounding. So, you know, my sympathetic nervous system was going crazy. I was dehydrated and basically spent that day Pacing back and forth, a tiny 400 uh, square foot apartment in downtown Toronto, uh, in the in the club district, you know where I was living, and just pacing back and forth. I remember texting uh, my buddy who I was out with the night before. I said, "I think I'm going down here, man," and he and he was like a crazy partyer. So he's like, "No, man, come out again tonight," and I was like, "No." Uh, so eventually, 11 o'clock. That night, I walked outside, I gave up. I basically, no mas, I'm on my my knees here, I'm giving up, mercy please. And so I walked outside. As soon as I walked outside, I felt 10, 20% better. So fresh air. So that's one of the tips I give people. You have to get outside. You have to get outside of your own head, first of all, quit letting the wheel spin, but also physically get outside. So I go outside, get in a cab, I start talking to the cab driver. 10% better just talking to somebody instead of pacing in a room. Uh, Then I get to the emergency room. I walk in. I think it was Toronto General Hospital. I walk in. It's empty, but the guy, the intake guy, I'm not sure what you call that guy, he's the the receptionist person, looks at me like, you're an idiot. I don't know what you're doing here. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Like, that's the look on his face. He's about my age. I walk up to him. I say, I think I'm having a heart attack. And his demeanor totally changed and rushed me to the back. And so I always say to people, if you have like a sprained ankle and it's a busy emergency room, right. just tell them you're having a heart attack. They'll take you right into the Great back place, away, Right away, right away. So I get in the back, and this nurse comes in. She's like petting my stomach and rubbing my head and human touch, massive decrease in the anxiety. So they actually let me go like an hour and a half later and, because there's nothing to keep you for. And then, you know, say, so I just drank a of Red Bull and, I, you know, whatever. And they probably see this all the time uh, because I've heard about it from so many other people, you yeah. know, entrepreneurs, uh, people that party all the time. Uh, Texting and emailing me saying hey, I know what you explained on stage there the other time I'm going through it now. So I leave there and for the next four days I like kind of take care of myself I do a little bit of yoga and then after that I'm back to the old bad habits and then it happens again to me a few months later And then that's when I suffered through what I call a six-week heart attack literally 24 hours a day seven days a week tingling from the top of my head down to the end of my fingertips tight chest elevated heart rate couldn't breathe properly couldn't think Properly, you know, it's like 60% of the time you like that's the best you could focus with 60% of your capacity Could barely work out and you know I'd have a conversation with somebody and they'd say I'm stressed and then that would make me more stressed And so after six weeks of that I could sleep from 11 p.m. Till 3 a.m. And then it'd wake me up And I was like okay again. I quit and that was the lowest point of my life It was a Monday in May of 2006 and I was training a five-foot-three Obese, 310-pound lawyer, stressed out, he's 55 years old, and I say to him, Richard, and Richard is a real nice guy, I say, I need you to take me to the hospital. And now if you walked into that gym that that day, and you said, which one of these two people needs to go to the hospital, the 29-year-old guy who's fit or the the 55-year-old guy who's obese, you'd think he'd be the lawyer. But no, I'm asking him, and he looked at me like I had not just two heads, but like nine heads. He just totally didn't understand it. And this is where I came up with the analogy that anxiety is a black box. It's a black box that you can't explain to somebody else. So, Pedro, I'm having an anxiety attack right now. And you've had one. So, you know, you you would go, what do you mean? You look totally normal. Now, if I said you have a broken arm, you'd be like, I can see that. I get it. (laughs) Yes. But not with the anxiety. And not only can you not explain it to somebody else, you can't explain it to yourself. Because you're like, why would I feel this way? Why would I feel this way for six weeks straight? You know, I didn't I didn't drink yesterday. I shouldn't feel like that bad. I didn't have any caffeine today. Why should I feel like this? And it's because your, your sympathetic nervous system is just going insane. So I get to the emergency room. This time it's a Monday morning, so it's busy. And he took me to St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, which is where they take all the trauma cases. So they're like... You go sit over there, buddy. I don't care if you're having a heart attack. Just go sit over there because you're not. And so they do give me a chest x ray and then they gave me a heart rate monitor and they said, come back in 24 hours, drop it off. And then when I dropped it off, they said, okay, we'll call you in 24 hours if there's anything wrong with you. And when, you know, I was like watching the clock, right? And as soon as the 24 hours turned over, it was like half the weight of the world is off Mm. me. Same day, I bought a book called Panic Away, an ebook on ClickBank, which is where I was selling all my stuff at the time. PanicAway.com uh, by a guy named Barry McDonough over in Ireland. And I get to the chapter two. And the first five, five words of chapter two say, there's nothing wrong with you. And I shut it down. Um, and I totally cured and I'm like, I'm too busy for this anxiety anyways. And that was that was that actually went through my head. I'm too busy for Good. this anxiety. Good. Stop
1: right there for a minute. So chapter two, the first five words. There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with there's you. There's nothing wrong with you. And you're like, there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, it was an instant pivot. Yes. What be- happened because in of your the, head?
0: Because of the two things. Because I knew that day I was told there was nothing physically wrong with me. So no longer can my hypochondriac mind. Because I, I did a master's degree in exercise physiology. So I know all the stuff about how the heart works and the sympathetic nervous system and, and all this stuff. I know how it works and I know what you're supposed to feel like when you're having a heart attack. So, so I knew all that and then it would get into my head and my wheels would spin worse. So knowing that combined with there's nothing wrong with you kind of gave me that permission like, okay, what I, what I felt was not only I, I did feel like, hey, you know what, I am really busy and I don't have time for this stuff, but I also thought this is something that I can fix. This is something that I can fix through better behavior, through structure, through boundaries, and taking care of myself, which sounds stupid. So you, but you got this sense of control. I did, and I also, the th- probably like maybe one other factor was I had to learn how to breathe. I had to learn how to breathe again. Here I yeah, know I'm 30 years old, I should be a champion breather, right? But what most people do, especially those of us that sit in front of a computer or that have bad posture, is we breathe from our upper chest. And so when you breathe from your upper chest, you can't take a deep breath, and you take these short, shallow breaths, which is good for when you're trying to get like jacked up. But what it does is it decreases the amount of or increases the amount of carbon dioxide uh, in the blood, yeah. and that causes the release of adrenaline. Adrenaline stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, and so you're on this vicious cycle. So I was doing yoga, meditation, tai chi, and qigong, and I hated all of them, but they taught me how to breathe properly. Mm. So the combination of those factors allowed me to take back control of my mind and my nervous system so that I overcame the anxiety. And, and I'd say every three months for the next year, it would start to creep back in and I was able to fight it off. It was like literally, you know, Friday afternoon, I felt it. I was fighting it till Sunday and then somehow it went away. And, and now you could load me up on probably three Red Bulls and I'd be totally cool.
1: Because we've got the tools Uh, to deal with it. Yeah.
0: Because I understand what it is, I know how, and you're right, I have the tools to deal with it.
1: And so, where this is concerned, you know, as as I met you around 2009, 2010, 2009 specifically, fast forward five more years, and your business is really starting to take off at this point. Yeah. What creates this shift in your mindset that, okay, you're, you're past your anxieties, you're starting to build better habits and rituals, right? But how did your business take off so quickly?
0: It's letting go. It was letting go. So, you know, before that, up until that point, you know, in 2006, I did everything myself. Uh, you know, by 2010, I had assistance, but it was still top down. And then around 2012 is when I started letting go letting go of like, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do. It, it, I I was not a good leader at that point, but I was still a little bit more open to other people driving some stuff. And so we got a copywriter came in, and he just wrote a sales letter. He took the, the stuff that I could do, the, the great programs. Um, I reinvented myself in terms of the fitness space because before that it was turbulence training. In 2012, I went all bodyweight stuff and so I had to reinvent myself because all these young guys were coming in yeah. and so I, I that was a turning point for me because I was like oh I do not want to reinvent myself I just want to keep coasting on this but I was like okay you got to man up and I didn't say man up but you know I didn't steal that from you but I did man up and I reinvented myself and I remember thinking now I understand what they say when they say Madonna reinvented herself again Because I never understood, like Madonna's Madonna, like she's just totally dominated. But no, she did have to reinvent, she reinvented her music, her image, her look. And I'm like, oh man, I'm getting old because now I'm having to reinvent myself. So that was a big change, but then also I reinvented the programs, but then I gave more freedom and liberty to people within my team. And this one young guy, he just got married last week and I gave him a, a uh, a gold coin like a, a $1,300 gold coin oh for, wow. his, for his wedding present because I mean I still owe him like way more money because he wrote a sales letter that that allowed us to sell hundreds of thousands of copies of a new program and also he helped me keep my reputation as the godfather because now it's like okay I have reinvented myself and you know now go, people are coming back to me for advice and stuff like that so I really owed that young man a debt of gratitude because I guess I gave him the freeway, the leeway to go and perform at his highest level, much like you do with your team members. You give them that guidance and then the freedom to go and be the best. So that was a huge shift for us. Why do you think you were able to all of a sudden
1: start trusting others in your business? I mean, that's like pretty intimate stuff. That's your money. That's your livelihood.
0: Yeah, I think it was because of the environmental exposure to other people. I, you know, I would see you do it. I would see my business partner Matt Smith do it, and I think you know Joel Marion's one of the most generous guys that we know, and. You know, you mentioned Sean Hadsel before. I remember Joel like just let Sean Hadsel come down and spend two full days working beside Joel to learn everything he knew. And also then all the affiliate parties that Joel would have. He had the biggest parties with over 100 people there, and he was just giving so freely. He would take people on these affiliate trips. He was just so giving and so generous. And I was such a cynical, skeptical jerk that I was like, there's got to be something. You know, he's doing this for a reason. But he's not. He's just so generous and so giving. And then you being involved in Toys for Tots and, you know, your commitment to Shriners and Matt uh, driving the Toys for Tots thing and the generosity that he has with friends. And it was that, and there was a couple other people in my life who were just like super generous that made me realize like, hey, you know, not everybody's bitter and cynical and and jealous uh, like my father was, you know, he had a lot of those negative negative, um, emotions and characteristics that held him back. He would, I would, I, I tell this story a lot in my workshops that, you know, my father would have this pattern of, oh, he's got a new best buddy and this new best buddy's over every day. And then all of a sudden, like. After three months, it was almost like clockwork every three months, new best buddy's gone. I don't know if he, like he's buried out behind the barn or something, right? But new best buddy's gone. New, what, what would happen? I think he just became so bitter and envious and jealous of the person that he, he probably said something stupid and, and got in a fight with the guy and told the guy to F off and never come back. And he would just go find somebody else to hang around with. So do you
1: think you picked up some of those habits? That's where the jealousy and stuff would come. Yeah, through?
0: I definitely think I picked up that distrust of yeah. people. But also, uh, there was probably distrust, you know, between he and I. Sure. Yeah, and so you know, he yelled at me a lot. Never hit me, fortunately. He was never a physically abusive, man. But very, very angry. Um, when I would come home from school, when I in grade school, you would come home and you'd never know which guy was going to be waiting there for you. You know, the guy who's gonna be yelling at you, the guy who's gonna be so so drunk, he's you know, passed out in, in his workshop, um, the guy who just doesn't want anything to do with you, the guy who you know, wants to go and do something crazy. Cause I mean, that, that guy was like, he was, he was like borderline crazy. I mean, he would just do stuff. Whenever he saw, I like to say, whenever he saw a keep out sign, all he saw was come on in, come on to the other side of the chain. Like, you know, we would go on family vacation and he, I remember him hopping over a chain fence that said keep out because he's like, I wanna go see what's in here. Yeah, so he was cra- Like, he was like a risk taker in a way, sure. which is kind of funny. But, um, you know, he also got three uh, driving while impaired, uh, fought the cops on one of them. I mean, it's just a real embarrassment to, to sure. my mother and to my family. And just, he never learned. And so, when, you know, one of the things that we did in, in uh, one of the Inside Looks in the Empire podcast, when I interviewed Ed Milette, Ed might let's father stop drinking at 15, and I like that scrambles my brain because I don't understand how anyone can stop drinking. And so I asked, uh, you know, Ed and I spent a good amount of time on that, and Ed said, well, nobody's ever asked me that before. But I guess the only type of person who would ever ask that question is somebody who saw that there was no hope. I mean, there was never any hope of my father quitting drinking from when he started, which I think it got bad around when I was five, up until when he passed away. Mm. What did you ask Ed? I said, like, because he glossed over it. He he mentioned that in the interview with you. And he said, you know, my father stopped drinking at age 15. and then As in
1: when Ed was 15.
0: Yeah, when Ed was 15, that's when his father stopped drinking. And I guess everybody else just goes, oh, okay. Because, like, they think that that's something normal. But anybody who knows anybody who's an addict, you don't just stop. You don't just stop. I mean, people around you are begging and pleading for you to stop. You don't just stop. So how did he stop? And, and Ed just told this story about, uh, I guess, one day he just pulled over and, and, he, and his father just said, this is it. I'm, I'm going to stop drinking. And he committed to it. And Ed's father has gone to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings for over 30 years, four times a week. And, and doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm cured of drinking alcohol. He goes four times a week at age you know 75 or 80. He's committed. Yeah. He's
1: committed. And so... Yeah. Speaking of reinventing, and and I I don't think I've, I mean, I've known you for a long time, and these are stories that I didn't even know, Uh but speaking of reinventing, there's another reinvention that took place where you went from the fitness guy Mm -hmm. to the personal development life structure guy, and now you're running these perfect day workshops. I mean, to be able to lead people through... Getting, having this fuzzy vision of how they want their life to look to at the end of one day, because I've gone through it, at yeah. the end of one day for us to be so clear on what our, we want our financial life, our personal life, our health life to look. How did, you, how did you shift gears and reinvent yourself into this guy?
0: Well, that had been going on for a long time. So in 2007, I had my first online business uh, seminar. So Yannick Silver encouraged me to go and do it. Uh, young Vinny D was at it. Yeah. Mike Geary was at it. You know, we had some really great people at it. That was 2007 when I started that. And I started my own mastermind at that time, but I was 1.0. And so, you know, people would come to these meetings and I might give them great advice, but it, you know, there wasn't that love felt by them. And so it never really took off uh, that great. Um, and then fortunately, you know, you and I uh, met each other, so I was doing it, and I was doing some phone coaching, like Isabel Dulles-Rios was, yeah. uh, you know, has been a long-time client. She did phone coaching with me in, like, 2009, 2010. John Rowley did phone coaching with me, so I was always practicing this stuff. I was building the systems. I just wasn't working with as many people, and then along the way, I was also writing the book, getting a lot of help from Matt Smith to, like, figure out, I've got all this stuff to say. What should I say? How do I organize it? He and I had some great dinners, and and he gave me so much great advice. And so along the way, I was chipping away at it. And at the same time, I was, you know, after the reinvention in the fitness industry, even a reinvention in the fitness industry only lasts so long. And it wasn't, I liked it. I didn't love it. And so I was always kind of looking for like, how can I get out of here? And it wasn't really teaching people online marketing because I'm just not the kind of guy who will go and do a deep dive into funnels. I don't care about that stuff as much. And so I was like trying to figure out how I could find my way in the world to do what I'm good at, what I'm really gifted at. And recently I was up at Randy Garn's place at Scipio and they, for all their guest speakers, they make you take the strength finders test. And I had, Matt had always me, told me to take it, but I never took it. So I did finally, and I'm off the charts for futuristic, vision, strategic, execution, and one other thing. Probably looks, probably good looking, I'm right? Sure. Yes. And so I was like, I thought everybody thought like this. I thought everybody was planned out to knowing exactly what they're doing at fr- on in three weeks from now on Friday at three o'clock. Like I know, and I thought everybody was like that. So I, I spend like all the time in my head, I'm, I'm thinking almost always about the future. So combining all of that, it allows me to come along and then help somebody like you who's like, i got a ton of stuff to do right now, Craig. I don't know what I'm doing in three weeks on Friday uh, in the afternoon. Plus, the one, the one wild card that I have in that is all the flaws. So I've had all these flaws that I've been trying to fix for over 25 years. So I remember age 17, age 18, going to the library, the Stratford Public Library, and going in and looking up a book on how to stop being so angry. Because I was the worst loser in sports, I would yell at all my friends, probably because my father yelled at me, so I thought yelling at people was, that's how you communicate. That's not how you communicate. So for 25 years, working on personal development, Naturally gifted at vision and strategy, loving that, loving helping people. I, I call myself the chess master. I can move Bedros on the board of life to the winning position. I just love it. I love the coaching and accountability that I do with people now. And when you combine all of those things, this is this is it. This is what I'm going to do. You know, if somebody asked me, what's your exit strategy for your business? I'm like, death, because, you know, because <laughs> this is what I'm doing until I die, because... Even if you said you can't work, no, you're not allowed to take money anymore, I would do it.
1: It's funny that you took your biggest adversities in life and they became your superpowers and, and they serve as an advantage now to be able to draw on those experiences and go, Ah, Bedros was talking about that or Isabel has that issue. Here's how I can move him or her through the chess game of life.
0: Yeah, it's because I've had to go and fix all these things. So I figured out here's how to fix things fastest. Here's the feedback loop that you need to follow. Here are the five pillars. And really,
1: that's why we're paying you. Like we're paying yeah. you for speed and outcome. Yeah, right?
0: absolutely. And yeah. it's, so you just figure like, I figured out how to get through the maze faster than everybody else. I'm gonna show you how to do the same thing.
1: Makes total sense. So- Now you're doing this, and of course, your first book was The Perfect Day Formula, and your new book that's coming out, when is it coming out? In November. In November. Yeah, I'm going
0: to give away copies at my retreat in November. Perfect, perfect.
1: And and am I still coming to that? Yeah, you're speaking on the second day in the afternoon, baby. Wonderful. I just needed a little edification, so I asked for it right there. Um, (laughs) Edification cup, running low. Fill it up. Um, No, but but you're going to give away copies in November, and the book is... All about anxiety and society today suffers at least we hear society suffering more from anxiety than ever before yeah. why is that
0: it's because well first of all I think that it's diagnosed more you know it's people are more open about it so 30 years ago if you had anxiety you're not gonna That's show cheap. that weakness right right so first of all there's that second of all social media's got to have something to do with it third You know, the comparison syndrome, that's what I call the first world problem, the number one cause of friction in most people's lives. Mostly, though, is because we're misaligned. So I was misaligned. I was saying one thing. I'm Craig Valentine, men's health fitness expert. I was making the videos. I was training people. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go and binge drink every Friday or every Saturday, every Friday or every Saturday. And, you know, you can't hide that. It's like the preacher stooping the, you know, the waitress you're not getting away with that forever. So it's a values misalignment. Yes, absolutely. So with values, goals and actions are misaligned. That causes internal stress. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, I, I, I want to write a book, and you never get around to writing it. It causes internal stress. So we got internal stress. We have all this stimulus in our world. Caffeine, not enough sleep, all these choices, all these electronics, hyper uh, this, uh, sympathetic nervous system response. We don't know how to breathe properly. We aren't coping properly. There's a million factors, and that's why it's become so prevalent today from, I mean, it's really, really bad in teenagers. It's really terrible in America, 40 million Americans, so more than 10% of the population, and it's probably just going to start to get worse. So the Craig Ballantyne that I met and the Craig
1: Ballantyne that you've become who stands here next to me right now running the Empire podcast and running the Empire Mastermind with me, you're such a joy to be around, honestly. I loved you then, but I love you now. Right. What's missing in this
0: Craig's life? Well, I think it's it's what's uh, what you have in your life that I look up to more than ever now, which is that partner and that support. So I loved it when you were running Fitness Business Summit. I'd I'd go down there. I'd I'd see you behind the scenes with Diana, and you'd be like Diane, It'd be Diana and Bedros against the world. Yeah, Diana and Bedros against the world. And seeing that true partnership. Is very inspirational to me. Seeing Joel and Lisa's true partnership is very inspirational to me. So I think that's what's missing. That's like the last little piece of the jigsaw puzzle, and then it'll just be exactly as advertised: perfect life.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. As uh, here's a call to action to all of our listeners and viewers of the Empire Podcast. Our if you know of someone, <laughs> and, what does what the perfect Mrs. Craig Valentine look like? Because if we know of someone, we should probably make an introduction.
0: The girl next door, I always say like uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in her heydays. You know, okay. Sarah Michelle or Geller, Geller type. Yeah, uh huh. Absolutely.
1: All right, so guys and gals, if you know of someone, uh, the. Sarah- Marianne from
0: Gilligan's Island.
1: Okay. Mary- <laughs> I actually had the hoss for Marianne more than Ginger, believe it or not. Yeah, oh, I did too. Man. So if you know of that girl, go ahead and do a DM introduction. But honestly, Craig, you have evolved so much, man. And um, what is it that we can do to help you and serve you in your mission?
0: Oh man, just you know what, what? matters most to me is is helping people transform. So being open to it, asking for help. And I was one of the thing, I, so when I'm coaching my clients, I have ten questions that I give them every week, and the last question is, who do you need help from? And for some reason, the theme of everybody's answers was, oh, I don't need help from anyone this week. Bull. Bull, I I always say there's no wrong answers to any questions in my workshops. There's no wrong answers to any questions in the accountability. And then I realize there is one one wrong answer. When you say I don't need help from anybody, that's when I know you need help from somebody. Mm. So reach out, get help from somebody in all areas of your life. You've talked about how you've gotten help I've talked about how I've gotten help. You've got to go and get help. You've got to go and get that accountability from somebody that you deeply do not want to disappoint. And that's all that matters is for you to be at your full potential, for you to live your best life. And for that is to, to be open to it. Amen. Craig Ballantyne,
1: thank you for joining us on this episode of the Inside Look on the Empire Podcast. Maybe I'll come back.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for another amazing episode of the Empire podcast. Now, the greatest compliment that you can give to us is liking, loving, and sharing this episode with all of your friends. So please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, and then share it online and social media with everyone that you know. And make sure to tag us, because we love hearing from Empire listeners.
1: And if you own a business that's doing half a million dollars or more in annual revenues and you know it's got massive potential and you like myself and Craig Ballantyne to help you scale it by 5x, 10x and 20x in the shortest amount of time possible, then you might be a great candidate for the Empire Mastermind program that we have. To learn more about the Empire Mastermind program, go to bedroskuliancom forward slash empire.